Good evening. Well, welcome again, Sunday night. Hallelujah. So, if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, or if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, you're a little deflated tonight. But uh, when you talked about when they when you scored a touchdown, were you talking about the whole season for the Jaguars? One, one touchdown. I'm sorry, I couldn't couldn't resist that one. Anyway, praise God. Re- regarding the the uh, table back there, uh, let me mention a couple of new things that um, I want to talk about. This is called kingdom authority. The, you know, there's authority in the kingdom of God. One of the benefits of the kingdom of God is authority. But how do I access authority? How do I utilize authority? How do I how do I understand authority? How do I position myself where I'm walking in authority? Just think about the king has authority, right? But those who are subjected to him also have authority. What's great about our king, and that's what this talks about, what's great about our king is the fact that uh, he's the only king that has died for his subjects. Now think through that. You know, you see these old movies where there's kings, you know, usually in Great Britain or Europe, right? Some in South America and, other, you know, Central America and those kinds of places where there's kings. But primarily we see stuff about England and Great Britain and Scotland and Ireland where there's kings. Their subjects died for them, right? But our king died for his subjects. And not only did he do that, with that he gave us his authority. Now think think through this. In Matthew 28, the last chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, All power is the word exousia, authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Isn't that what he said? So if all authority is given to Jesus in heaven and earth then that means the devil has none. You mean the devil has no authority? Correct. He has ability. When Jesus talked about, when Jesus talked to the disciples, his, not the twelve, but the seventy, and Luke, when he sent his disciples out, and they went out and they performed signs, wonders, and miracles, they, he said, I want you to go and heal the sick, Right? He said, uh, you go into every highway, go every village, every, every town, every city, and if they receive you, go for it. If they don't receive you, wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next one, right? You know, that's a good lesson for all of us. Don't get deflated just because you're not received in one place. Just go to the next place. Somebody's out there willing to receive. Somebody out is out there willing to hear. Amen. So they came back. The 70 returned again with joy, the Bible says, and said to Jesus, Jesus, even the devils were subject unto us by your name. Remember reading that? Luke 10. Even the devils were subject unto us by your name. He didn't say the devils were, they didn't say the devils were subject to you. He didn't go. Right? The devils were subject unto us. And we are no different today. 
The devils are subject unto us through his name. Are you his disciple? No difference. You've been commissioned by him as well. Didn't, didn't he say, didn't he say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? And then these signs shall follow them? What's the first sign? What's the first sign? You'll cast out devils. Right? Right? Mark 16. You shall cast out. That's the first sign. Most Christians are so afraid for uh, devils. I mean, they, 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 need, they need depends. <laughs> but devils are actually afraid of you. What's your name, young man? Trey? Trey, do you know that the devil is afraid of you? You don't have to be afraid of the devil. He's afraid of you. That's why the devil has tried to kill every generation. Because he fears every generation. He's not sure which generation is going to be the last one. And he knows what's going to happen on the last generation. It's written. It's written. And he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he also knows that it's going to come through the authority of people. That he's going to be forever placed in the abyss. Amen. Yes, Jesus is going to do it, but we as believers are a great part of that because we will be his army that defeat all of Satan's devices and, and defeat Satan's armies. Amen? Without getting into eschatological, 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 I'm still not saying it right. Without getting into last days. Without getting into eschatology, we, we've, got to, we've got to know who we are in Christ. He's given us authority. He's given us all authority. So what was Jesus' response when the disciples of the 70 came back and said, even the devils were subject to us, us through your name? Wow, are you kidding? Is that what he said? No. He said, I beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Right? That's what, that was his answer. That's an that's a odd answer, Jesus. We just told you. We just want you to be excited about, you know, the devils were subject to us. And you're going to tell us that you beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, just imagine that. When the devil was kicked out of heaven, Jesus saw it, and it looked like lightning. What follows lightning? We just heard some a moment ago. Thunder. Can you imagine the thunder that happened when the devil got kicked out of heaven? Maybe that's what happened to the dinosaurs. But I'm just teasing. I'm just kidding. But obviously, obviously, that was a momentous occasion. And Jesus said, I give unto you power. There's that word. Exousia or exousia. I give unto you power over all the power of the enemy. The second word power there is not exousia. It's dunamis. It means ability. Jesus just said, I give unto you authority over all the ability 
of the devil. Authority is always greater than ability. Does a police officer, a traffic, a traffic cop, we call them, do they have the ability to stop traffic? No. They have the authority to stop traffic. Right? They don't have the ability to stop traffic. They can't, they can't stop a car. They can't stop a motorcycle. But they have the authority to stop it. Authority is greater than ability. Amen. That badge represents authority of the whole government behind that police officer. That's what's crazy what's going on in Ferguson, Missouri right now. We had an attorney general that went down there and stirred up the pot and all these other hucksters. Come on. And due process has not even happened yet. And they automatically make this police officer guilty when they ought to be standing behind this police officer. The top cop, that's the attorney general, he ought to be standing behind the, behind the police officer and not the thug that just beat up, pushed, pushed around, not beat up, pushed around the guy in the convenience store. Better not get me started. It's craziness. So the top cop, the attorney general severed the relationship between Washington and that police officer. When his badge means Washington ought to be supporting him. I've got family that are police officers, so you better not get me going. Amen? But see, God God supports that authority. And God is always about that right authority. So this, this series talks a lot about that kind of authority and the authority that we've been given by the power of our Lord. Our Lord has empowered us with authority. Amen? And that authority gives me the right to rebuke the devil. Amen? See, the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, man needed God to rebuke the devil. In the New Covenant, Jesus has given us authority to rebuke the devil. That includes rebuking the devourer. You know that Italian prophet Malachi? Or Malachi? He said, the Lord rebukes the devourer. That's Old Covenant. We have a better covenant. We rebuke the devourer. We take authority over the enemy. We're empowered by the Word, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's sealed. It's a covenant. And it's sealed by His blood. And therefore, we have authority over all the, the ability of the devil. Amen? Isn't that good? I, I like that. I like that. Therefore, I must exercise it. Nobody can exercise my authority for me. Nobody can exercise your authority for you. There's no such thing as misplaced exercise of authority. There's no such thing as surrogate authority. You have to exercise your own authority. Amen. I could go into a gazillion stories about this. Somebody like to have this? Anybody? All right. There you are. All right. Now, these are not just commercials to sell CDs because... Evidently, that didn't work very well this morning. <laughs> but this is, this is just a kind of an appetizer, just kind of get you thinking, get you going. This is called 
This is a, a, a very new series called The Necessity of the Local Church. Why is the local church so important? We, we ought to see that the local church is important in these last days because it's so under attack. So under attack. You know, this is one of the things we taught. This was primarily the thing we taught down in St. Augustine last, last uh, month or earlier this month. And that is that re- regarding... Regarding authority, God could not speak authority into existence like He did everything else. He had to create avenues or vehicles by which His authority could travel. In other words, He spoke light into existence. He said, light be. The King James says, let there be light. No, He didn't say that. That's not a commandment. If you look it up in Hebrew, he didn't say, let there be light. You know, King, King Jimmy is so, is so polite. No, God said it with far more authority than let there be light. In the Hebrew it says, light be. That's a commandment. And light is still being created from that one statement. The Hubble telescope proves that. If you watch Natural Geographic or you take it or you pick it up, in a, in a lobby somewhere, you'll see that stars are still being formed. Nebulae. Nebulae. Singular. Nebulae is one. Maybe it's the other way around. Nebulae is plural. Nebulae is one. But nebula are being created out there in the darkness of space. In other words, stars are being formed. Stars are being formed. And the Hubble telescope, uh, telescope has actually been out there in space and can take pictures of them. We don't have, a, you know, we've got too much artificial light on Earth to see them clearly. But the Hubble gets out there in the darkness and it takes pictures of those stars being formed. It takes, it takes years, for light, light years for them to be formed. But they're still being created today from God saying one time, light be. That's the power of authority in the Word. Amen. So he could not say that about authority. He could not say, authority be. He had to create avenues of authority. So he created the first thing, the home. Genesis chapter 2. Secondly, he created the church. And thirdly, he created government. He only blessed two. Guess which one's not blessed? Pretty easy. He never wanted government by man. Right? He relented, but he never wanted government ordained by man. He always wanted to be king. Right? So, he created the home, church, and government. Doesn't it stand to reason that the enemy, who hates God, therefore hates all of God's creation, he has to come through Legal channels to attack you. You know that the devil can't just come in and take you out anytime he wants? If he could, if he had that authority, even if he had that ability, you'd be dead before you ever had a chance to hear the gospel. You couldn't ever hear the gospel. 
he'd kill you first. Or you'd be demon-possessed first. He doesn't have that kind of authority. He has no authority. And he doesn't even have that level of ability. All children would be demon-possessed if he had that kind of ability. Because they're susceptible. Right? So, the devil has to come through those same legal channels, the home, the church, and government, to enter into people's lives. Just think, all authority on the planet, all authority on this dirt ball comes from those three institutions. The home, church, and government. All authority still comes from those institutions. So he attacks those institutions. So he attacks the home. He attacks marriage. Is marriage under attack today? Uh, I believe so. Why is marriage under such attack? To subvert godly authority in the earth. To undermine God's authority in our lives. So he's coming against God's authority through the legal channels that God ordained. First of all, the home. Marriage. The family. He's trying to circumvent the power and the authority that God has given mankind over him by trying to destroy it. And there, there, there are people of God that are following, right, following suit, just, just sucked in by the, by the trap. I, I expect it in the world. I'm not surprised by anything that the world does. I, I am frankly very surprised at some of the things that happen in the church of Jesus Christ. Even in ministry, especially in ministry. So, they come and they try to redefine redefine marriage. You know what? If you didn't create marriage, you don't get to redefine it. Whatever you create, you get to name. You've made stuff, I've made stuff, and we named it. Nobody else recognized it at that, as that. Well, that's a flower. Oh, Really? These girls are drawn over here right now. They might hold something up, and they 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 would say, "Well, this this is a horse," and we might think it's a dog. But they drew it. It could be a horse. They get to name it because they made it, right? My mom still has a candy dish that I made in the fifth grade. I brought it home for her. It was always a candy dish. But she made it a cigarette ashtray. <laughs> and I told her, Mom, it's not a cigarette. It's not for cigarettes. This is, this is for candy. <laughs> After 50 years, she's now finally a candy dish again. You get to name it. You made it. You get to name it. God made marriage. He gets to name it. He gets to define what marriage is. And he says between a man and a woman. A man and wife. Right? Not a man and a she-man. Not a male and a she-male. Better not get me started. The second thing. The enemy's attacking is the local church. We learn of our spiritual authority through the local church. Therefore, he does not want you to learn of spiritual authority. 
We learn the protocols of spiritual authority through the local church. You don't learn that at Walmart. You don't learn that at your job. You learn of spiritual authority and spiritual accountability through the local church. And the enemy does not want you to learn that. He does not want you to grow in that. Amen? Somebody like to have this? All right. Then make, make sure, if, if you can only get one thing, get the book Life's Priorities back there, and it will really help you. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going to repeat a few, few of the things that we talked about this morning. But we'll go on to some new material as well. But before we, we uh, go there, did you hear about the blind cowboy? Blind cowboy goes into, goes into a bar. And he stumbles into this bar. You know, and he f- makes his way up to the bar and he sits there. He orders a, a drink and... The bartender is a female, and uh, he says, "Hey, y'all want to y'all want to hear some blonde jokes?" Bartender hesitated a moment. She said, "Cowboy, you might want to rethink telling that blonde joke because I'm a blonde. I got an over and under shotgun sitting under." This bar right here. That waitress down to the end of the bar, she's blonde. This is her part-time job. Her full-time job is MMA. She fights, she, she fights mixed martial arts. We got another one in the back. She's on her way out here. She knows jiu-jitsu. She's blonde. Then we got another one that she's blonde. She's tattooed all the way from her fingernails to her neck, all up her head. She got all those tattoos in prison. (laughs) Then we got a friend over here. She came in. She's blonde. She killed her husband a few weeks ago. They just don't know about it yet. You sure you want to tell that blonde joke? He said, not if I have to explain it five times. <laughs> you forgive me? <laughs> I have to explain it again. You want me to tell it again? One more time. You might be in trouble for saying that, but (laughs) Romans chapter 10. What we began talking about this morning is the transforming power of the word of faith. Say word of faith. Look at verse 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Let's look at the Amplified. Kind of helps us it says but what does it say so we found out from earlier verses starting in verse 3 but specifically in verse 4 and 5 that the word of righteousness or God's righteousness has a voice it says something amen 
So the word of faith. This word, word, simple, simple definition is this word. The word is nigh thee. The rhema is nigh thee. Close. Close to you, right? So the word rhema means utterance. Spoken. So the word is near you. In thy mouth and in thy heart. That's pretty near, right? In your mouth and in your heart. So the word is close to us in our mouth and in our heart. It says... God's message in Christ is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word, the message, the basis, and the object of faith which we preach. I made the statement this morning. I'll repeat it. There is no word in your Bible other than the word of faith. There is not another word from God but the word of faith. What would it be? The word of doubt? The word of fear? See, everything in the Bible is truly stated. But not everything in the Bible is a statement of truth. Right? Here's an example. There's a chorus that, you know, was very popular, still is very popular, but it came forth in the 90s and even in the 2000s where, you know, it's the Lord giveth and the Lord, he, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. Well, Job said that. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That is truly stated in the Bible, but that's not a statement of truth. The Lord doesn't give and take away. So when we sing that chorus, we change the, we change the words. He gives and makes away. He gives and makes away. Why? Because the Lord doesn't give and take away. God is not what we call in Texas an Indian giver. Now, I've got Indian blood in me, so I'm not slamming Indians. But you understand, that's the terminology. God doesn't give and take away. God's a giver. God's a good God. God's not a taker. God's a giver. Job said that, but Job said a lot of stuff that wasn't the truth. (laughs) Right? Here's another... Statement that was truly stated in the New Testament. There were people that said that Jesus cast out devils by the power of Beelzebub. Is that truly stated in the Bible? Is it a statement of truth? Absolutely not. And you look through your Bible and you can read all kinds of things and they're all truly stated, but they're not all statements of truth. So people get confused about the Word. They get confused about doctrine. But there is no true doctrine in your Bible other than the Word of faith. That is what we are to preach. Any preacher that doesn't preach the Word of faith is not a Word preacher. A lot of your fleshly, flaky, funky friends will say that they go to a church that preaches the Word. Yeah, we preach the Word our church. But if it's about doubt and fear and unbelief and God will make you sick to train you and to teach you or to scold you or to correct you, it's not the Word. It's not the Word. It's nowhere close to the Word. They may have truly stated that, but that doesn't make it a statement.
statement of truth. And that's what people get all caught up in. They don't, they're not able to differentiate between the two. They're not able. Why? Because they're not a part of a word of faith church that teaches the word of faith. Therefore, they can't spot the counterfeit. If you're not subject to the authentic, you don't even know what the counterfeit is. I asked this question this morning. Nobody lifted their hand, but we have a different different people here this morning. Anybody ever worked in banking? Uh, what area? All of, tell her. Did you work at all of them? You know that they do not teach the tellers how to spot counterfeit bills by giving them counterfeit bills. They only give them the true currency. Therefore, their eyes and their touch is so sensitive to the authentic currency that when a counterfeit bill crosses, they'll feel it and they can spot it. They can see it. You don't give them the fake. They don't give them the fake bills. They only give them the authentic. Amen. Amen. We even have parents today that they try to trick their children into doing the right thing by making and giving and offering to them wrong things. God does not offer wrong things to us to teach us the truth. Where does God go to get sickness to put on people, to train them and to teach them? Huh? He would have to be in cahoots with the devil, right? God's not an evil God. Sickness is evil. Sickness is a part of the curse. It's not a part of the blessing. We've not been called to the curse. We've been called to the blessing. Amen? Therefore, sickness is not a part of what God gives us. Jesus said it plainly in John 10.10. He said, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's not steal or kill or destroy. It's steal and kill. Look it up. The devil doesn't do one out of three or two out of three. The devil does all of it. When the devil comes into your life and you've opened the door to your marriage, you've opened the door to your family with sin, disobedience and strife, the devil comes in and he will steal and kill and destroy from every room in your house. And then he'll go to the next room and steal and kill and destroy. That's why, men, we've got to slam the door of the devil in our marriages and in our home and in our family. We've got to stop the stupidity somewhere. When my wife and I were married, we were not, we did not grow up in godly homes. We made a, we made a decision. We, we met in church. We met serving in the same Christian school. She was a person of the Word. I was a person of the Word. We weren't chasing each other. We were chasing Jesus, and Jesus put us together. That's a good way to find a mate. You might go out and find somebody, and you might go out and catch somebody, but really, do you, are they keepers? So chase Jesus, and He'll put you together with somebody else chasing Jesus. And then you'll be spiritually compatible. Bam. That is the biggest reason for divorce in the world today. 
lack of spiritual compatibility. Not lack of physical compatibility. That's not the problem. The problem is a lack of spiritual compatibility. So we need to be spiritually compatible. So God put us together in the local church. We weren't from a family of Christians. My, my side or her side. I was a family of, from a family of reprobates. She was from a family, they weren't reprobates, but they were not spiritually compatible. So they decided, he, he was Church of Christ, she was Baptist. They don't, they don't agree. If you know anything about Baptist and Church of Christ, they don't agree about nothing. About anything. So, you know what their agreement was? We won't go to church anywhere. Oh, yeah, that'll, that'll reduce the strife. So, they didn't go to church anywhere. The only time they go to church is to weddings, funerals, and, and their grandkids' uh, presentations. But that's all. So we decided when we were married, we're going to slam the door on stupidity on my side and on her side. We're going to stop the stupidity in our households. We're not going to allow the iniquities of our fathers to permeate our lives. You know what the word iniquity means? It, it's not talking, about, not talking about generational curses. You can watch some well-meaning people, very sincere ministers on TV, radio, and, and stuff. You can hear them, magazines, even books. They talk about generational curses. You've got to stop the generational curses. No. A curse is not going to come on you just because your daddy did something. It's called the iniquities of our fathers. The word iniquity means inherited character traits. It's our programming we've got to stop. It's our programming. It's our wrong programming. We're all products of our programming. We're all products of our programming. So we've got to change who we're programmed from. We've got to be reprogrammed from the Word instead of the world. Amen. And there's a lot of homework involved in that. That's not just going to happen Sunday and Wednesday. You gotta do some homework. You gotta know something for yourself. Amen? It's not just, it's not just revelation from Pastor Mark that you need. You need revelation in your own life. My preaching is better than you're shouting so far. So we, we decided to stop the stupidity. No more of this nonsense. Therefore, our children have never tasted what I had to taste. They never tasted the bitter, the bitter chaos of my life growing up and my wife's life growing up. Never tasted all the chaos, all the, all the bizarre craziness. My son called me last year crying. He's 32 years old. He's 31 at the time. Crying. That's a rare thing. Never happened but one other time. That was after he won the national championship in basketball, and he was he was appointed uh, and elected by the the national tournament uh, coaches. He was elected by those coaches, Bible College All American, All Tournament MVP. He never won anything like that before. So he he called me late one night on Saturday night, twelve thirty midnight, and he was crying for that for that reason. 
But two years ago, he's, he calls me and he's crying. I said, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, well, what's up? And he said, well, I was busy during the first service this morning. And in between services, I was going into the hospitality room. He worked for my brother in Tulsa. He said, my cousin came out, Charity. She came out of the service in the hospitality room, and she she she'd lost it. She 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 was so upset. She was so broken. He said, Charity, are you okay? What 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 what's what what's up? She said, You'll. Are you going to the service? You'll, you'll find out. So she couldn't tell him. She didn't tell him. So after the service, he calls me. He's broken. For the first time in his life, he heard a story from my brother, his pastor, about my life that he'd never heard before. It was the night I left home. When I was 12, because my mom had become so high and so drunk, I tried to save her, tried to keep her from going to the store to get cigarettes, and she put out my left eye with her high heel shoe. I wrapped my arms around her waist and my legs around the kitchen table, and she was trying to go out the back door, and she reaches over on the on the stove and grabs a black cast iron skillet and she hit me over the head and knocked me out and opened a big wound in the back of my head. Our son had never heard that story before even though it's his own dad. You see, my children never had to grow up in that chaos. And I don't tell that story all the time. I didn't go I didn't go through well, you kid, y'all spoiled kid. You had no idea what I had to go through. Are you renewed or not? If you're having to tell your children all that kind of stuff, you're you're off track. Now I know it's different, you know. Well, we walked to school in the snow. Didn't have no doggone snow boots when we were kids. Uphill, on the way to school, uphill back home. Didn't have no bus to pick us up out front. I think everybody's heard those stories. But all the, all the chaos that I grew up in, our kids never heard those stories. Because we were delivered from it. We were delivered from it. wasn't a part of their life. Amen? So my son, for the first time in his 31 years, heard that story from somebody else. The point my brother was making is that he and I should not be pastors today. We should not be good dads today because of our upbringing. But God. But God. Not because God just sovereignly came down into our lives, but because we submitted to His Word. 
We submitted. What does submit mean? Move under. Position under. Remember what we showed you this morning. We position ourselves under the Word. That was our choice, not His. See, if it's His choice, everybody would be under the Word. All this predestination stuff and Calvinism, all that kind of stuff. I mean, come on, it doesn't make any sense. If you want to slap somebody, God's not going to stop you. You've got to stop yourself. You've got to stop yourself. Amen? It's tough to be on the front row sometimes, isn't it? You and I have to stop ourselves. We have to be big boys. We have to put on our big boy britches. Amen. Well, I just couldn't help but cuss them out. I just couldn't help it. Well, you must not be born again. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that there's a course of this world according to the prince of power of the air that you used to walk in as a child of disobedience, but you've been delivered from that. In other words... You and I as Christians can't make the excuse the devil made me do it. Couldn't help it. No. Remember what I was talking about earlier during the commercial? You've been given authority. You've been given authority over the enemy. He can't make you do anything. Amen. He, he has the ability to trick you, to deceive you, to lie, to entrap you. But you've been given authority over him. Therefore... You don't have to fall into that trap. Amen? So, so what does this word say? There's a statement. The word of faith always states something. The word of faith always speaks something. Amen? Verse 9 tells us. Look at this. But if you acknowledge and confess, that's stating something, right? With your lips, that. In other words, this is not enough to just say something in your heart, so to speak. No, you have to speak it. Confess it with your lips, your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And in your heart, believe. Remember what believe means? Remember what faith means? Adhere to, trust in, and rely on. It's not giving it mental assent. What's mental assent? Mental assent is just agreeing. That's not enough. Mental assent is not enough. Amen. There are a lot of people that will give mental assent the fact that Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our healer. I believe that. Yes, I do. But boy, they get a symptom in their body, and they don't adhere to, trust, and rely on Him. First thing they do is go to the medicine cabinet. Is this anchor, faith, Presbyterian? Because it got really quiet. No. The word of faith says something. Those who are of word of faith say something. You get a symptom come against your body, you say something. You get a negative report about finances, you say something. Are you hearing me? You answer it. You answer it. But better than that, you you. Fill up your reservoir ahead of time. You don't wait till you got to dig a well. Right? 
You fill up your reservoir ahead of time. You speak those things which be not as though they were ahead of time. You speak those things forth. You decree and you declare something ahead of time. You don't wait till the disaster comes. You don't wait till the calamity comes. You fill up your reservoir in advance. Hallelujah. And then out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly shall flow the Word. Out of your heart will your mouth speak. But if you hadn't hidden it in your heart, what you going to speak? I'm sick of the dog. I'm so poor, I can't pay attention. My kids are driving me crazy. That's what people talk about. I'm talking about people in churches just like this one. That's how people talk. Why? Because our fleshy, flaky, funky friends and family trained us to talk like that. Amen. I mean, I can tell you stories. My my family tree is full of nuts as yours. If not more, I got a, I got a aunt married nine times. I said that in St. Augustine, and this guy walks up and said, I got an aunt married 17 times. And Pastor Earl was standing there. He said, I know that woman 17 times. She's been married 17 times. <laughs> yeah. My aunt married three of those husbands, three out of the nine. She met them. She met them in Fort Worth on Northeast 28th Street at the Pink Poodle Bar and Grill. Now, excuse me. Excuse me. You're going to find a man at the Pink Poodle Bar and Grill? Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to tell that? You're going to go tell people that? Yeah, I met my wife at the pink poodle. Really? Oh, do you shop at Victoria's Secret too? So I'm saying, I don't know your stories. I know mine. I don't know all your family, but I know my family. And there are some crazy people, and that's how they talk. They talk like that. My kids are driving me crazy. When we were, when we were younger, and, and here they are. They're supposedly born again. We were younger. I mean, we did something wrong. I'm going to kill you. That's how they talk to us. I'm going to whip you dead. Of course, it came to a point, you know, that was scary at first, and then we we laughed because, you know, that wasn't really going to happen. But do you understand? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We will eat those words. We will eat those words. We cannot use those kind of words and not think they're not going to come home to roost. Amen. So we have to use the right words. So faith speaks a vernacular. This morning I talked about the fact that whatever field you're in, there is a vocabulary. If you're going to be successful in that field, you must learn that vocabulary. Right? How about music? Is there a vocabulary in music? Oh, play that key that sounds like, ah. No, you can't communicate like that. 
You have to learn the vernacular. You have to learn the terminology. Right? In the medical field, you, you can't, you, you, a, a doctor can't say, hey, you know, you know that whatchamacallit we use on that, on that, on that person, uh, that patient, you know, uh, you know, oh, probably six months ago, that thingamajig that, that, you know, did that. No. You'll never become a doctor like that. Right? You know, that's what, that's what held, that's what's held a lot of people back from promotions because they won't learn the terminology. They're not, proficient at the terminology so we understand that about every area of life why don't we understand that about spiritual things that we need to learn the terminology there is a terminology there is a spirit language we must learn to become proficient at speaking the truth God has a language. It's the language of faith. It's the language of faith. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Understanding the language. It doesn't mean that you just memorize Bible verses. Because remember, those are translations. It's the spirit of faith that you're going after. Amen? There's a difference when a person quotes a scripture in fear versus quoting a scripture in faith. There's a difference between a person quoting the word in fear and quoting the word in faith. Let me tell you a quick story. Pastor Mark attended a long-time family pastor friend of mine's church in Fort Worth when he was a young person. Pastor Bob Nichols of Calvary Cathedral International in Fort Worth. Pastor Nichols was very close to Brother Hagen, and he's actually the son-in-law of the pastor that my brother and I attended his church in North Fort Worth and were spirit-filled and sparked a huge revival in that church when we were teenagers. And so Pastor Nichols was talking about Psalm 91 in his, in his series. I call it the Christian 911. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Notice it says, He that dwells not, he that visits... He that dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So, under his wings shalt thou trust. His wings. Talking about his feathers, his empowerment. You trust and you, you just like a baby chick or a baby goose, a, 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 a baby fowl of any kind, they get under the wings of, their, of the hen. For protection, right? Well, that's what we're afforded. That's what we're blessed with. So here's this widow. Her husband had died several years before. Didn't have much, didn't have much at all for uh, retirement and 
life insurance. So she needed to work. Plus, she wanted to work just to stay busy. And because she was, she was a, a lady, and again, this couple attended this church. Because she was a lady of responsibility, she became an assistant manager of, the, of this lady's shop very quickly. And therefore, she closed and opened at different times. But this particular night, she was closing. And it was a Saturday night. And it's in, it was in South Fort Worth, not necessarily a great part of town at that time. And it was a strip center. And so in closing, she comes out of the store, closed at 9 o'clock. She comes out of the store about 9.30. And she locked the, locked the door and turned out the lights. And she's walking to her car. And by 9.30, even the parking lot lights are off. So she's walking to her car, and you know, the employees are supposed to park, you know, away from the building and, you know, out in the outer part of the parking lot. And so she's walking out there, and she notices beyond the traffic on the street, she notices a vehicle motor coming behind her. And she turns around, and sure enough, a car is slowly following her with a silhouette of two men in the car. They have their lights off. So she scurries to the car, she drops her keys, she picks them up, and they pulled up really fast, and they jumped out of the car. They said, lady, forget it. And they hold up her battery. You're not going to start your car. We know where you live. We're going to take you there, we're going to steal everything you have. We're going to beat you up and leave you for dead. And the spirit of fear tried to grip her. But she'd been taught the Word. And yes, the spirit of fear tried to jump on her. But she resisted. And she pointed at them with all the boldness she could conjure up. And she spoke one word. That's all she could remember. One word. And she said, Feathers! Those two guys said, this woman's crazy. Let's knock her in the head. We don't want to hear this nonsense. Fathers! And she said it over and over again. And pretty soon, one guy says to the other guy, my God, what is that? I don't know. I've never seen anything that big in my life. What is that? And they're looking above and behind her. Let me tell you what they did not see. They did not see Cupid. They did not see a chubby little rosy red cheek baby with a harp. They saw what I talked to you about this morning in Psalm 103. She spoke that word, even though it wasn't the whole Scripture. It's not the whole Scripture that is so necessary. It's the intent. It's the spirit of faith. It's the spirit of faith that is necessary for you and I to speak. Feathers! And she's getting real bold with them. I said feathers! And they ran off. And she's telling the story. I saw a video of the, of the story, of her testimony. She's telling the story, and she, the way she told it, they were zigzagging through the parking lot as they were running away. I'm, I'm remembering a Three Stooges cartoon where all these guys are just 
Larry Moe and Curly are just running around in the park and hitting each other. She got in the car without thinking. She turned on the ignition. It started. She drove home. The battery was still sitting in the parking lot. She drove home. She called 911. This is before cell phones were prominent. She called 911, told them the story. They went out there and scoped out the car, knowing that those criminals would come back to the scene of their crime. And they caught them. And sure enough, they had a rap sheet a mile long, and they're in prison. And they recovered her battery. And one of the patrolmen later came after he booked those booked those jerks into the jail. He came back and he put her battery back in her car. The word works, folks. It's not the exact, the exact verbatim scripture that you need to be concerned about, but you need to have the spirit of faith. You need to have the spirit of faith. And you do it with boldness. Amen? You do it with boldness. You've got to remember, every translation we read is not the actual translation, the actual thing. I mean, some people say, what, the King James Version is good enough for Apostle Paul? It's good enough for me. Some of you may not be laughing. You understand that the King James Version is not what Paul had. But we have this mentality that we have to know the these and the thous and the, all that. No, no. Get the spirit of it. Get the spirit of it. I will say this. If our children can memorize a little commercial jingle on TV, they can memorize the word. Mm-hmm. So can we. So can we. Amen. Now, I know the King James Version the best because when I first got saved, there weren't a whole lot of other versions. There was a living Bible uh, and, 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 you know, a, a few other obscure translations, but it was primarily the King James Version. But let me say this about some of the versions. The NIV leaves out 187 scriptures, especially the scriptures about righteousness. Well, those are scriptures we need. Righteousness, redemption, healing. The Living Bible leaves out 212 verses. I need all those verses. They don't leave out obscure scripture. They don't leave out numbers, first 11 chapters of numbers. All the begats. They don't leave that out. They leave out critical New Testament scripture. So it's important to, to understand you know, which version you're, you're looking at and you're reading from. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So even though we covered that this morning, it's important that we look at some of the Second Corinthians chapter three, and we're going to look at some other stuff. But we all, with open face, are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. Say it with me. Changed, put the put the duh on the end of it. Changed uh, into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Amplified gives us a little more clarity, and it says, "And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, 
the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image in the ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit or the Spirit of God. So notice something. When we look into the Word, and the Word becomes the mirror by which we dress our lives. The world is not the mirror in which we dress our lives. I'm not talking about fashion. I'm talking about how we dress our lives, how we think, who we hang out with, who we run with, our attitudes, our mentality. Come on. If we look into the Word to dress our lives, we will be transfigured. We will be changed. And remember this word that we looked at this morning. What is the word transfigured? It is transformed in Romans chapter 2, which will, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12. But here's the word. It's only used three times, three different ways in the entire New Testament. Metamorpho. The word metamorpho means Meta means exchange. Morpho means outward form. Our very outward form is changed into the image of Christ when we look into the Word. I made this statement this morning. It bears repetition. We become what we behold. What are you looking at? We become what we behold. Amen? That is a law. The law of images. The law of images is something that's very common. It goes on around us everywhere. Why? Why in certain neighborhoods and certain families are the same mistakes perpetuated and repeated over and over again? Because that's all they look at. So therefore they identify with that. Come on. Because their daddy was like that. Their mama was like that. Their brother, their siblings, all like that. So that's what they become. And it's a rare bird that breaks out of that mold and becomes something else and starts looking beyond their family. And it takes a lot of courage. And in some cases, your life is threatened if you get outside their little paradigm amen your life is threatened you know even today in israel if a jew gets born again their life is under threat of death see we we don't believe american tv when it comes to israel just don't believe american tv we have friends in Israel. They've been there for over 40 years. And we get regular communiques from them all the time. We, we even email them back and forth and we talk to them. Do you know that in, in the Messianic churches in Jerusalem, that there are Orthodox Jews standing outside in the parking lot? And just like you came in tonight, you got rained on. They get spat upon by Jews, Orthodox Jews, Hasidic Jews. They get spat upon them. 
People spit on them and push them around and threaten them. They jerk their children around, make fun of them. You know, kids, kids can be cruel. Where do they learn that? From their parents. And that happens all over Israel. People that get born again. So under threat of ridicule, of true persecution. You, know, you might think God spit on you tonight when you got rained on. <laughs> but that's not His spit. You aren't persecuted coming to church here tonight. They get persecuted every time they show up for church. Because they show up on Sunday and, and the Jews go to synagogue on Saturday. Friday night and Saturday. See, we, we, we've got it easy in America because our founding fathers provided so much benefit and so much blessing for us because they established something very significant for us. When I visit Washington, D.C., I look at the Scripture and the statements chiseled into the marble and, and the stone. Now, see, this is such a godly nation, and our president says we're not Christian. Really? Really? You're misguided. How can... How can a Christian say that this nation is not Christian? 74% of Americans still call themselves Christian. Now, I'm not saying 74% of Americans are actually living the Christian walk. Don't misunderstand me. But they're saying they're Christian instead of Muslim, instead of, instead of uh, uh, you know, Hindu or whatever. They're still saying that they're Christian. They believe in the Christian faith. I don't believe a Christian president can actually say that. Why would you say that? All right, I'll go on. Even so, Lord, come quickly in these next two years. In the name of Jesus, oh, help us. So, there's a real persecution. And these things are handed down generation after generation. By what people look at. By what they're exposed to. You and I must expose ourselves, our marriages, our children to the word of faith. And as we do, we are transformed. We are changed. That's what happened to my life. That's what happened to your life. As you submitted to the word of faith, the word changes you. The word absolutely revolutionizes your life. Amen? But only when you appropriate it and apply it to your life. It doesn't happen just by some spiritual osmosis. There's a spiritual metamorphosis that takes place, but there's, it's not some spiritual osmosis. In other words, just because you come to church doesn't make you a believer. Any more than sleeping in a doghouse makes you a poodle. Amen? Or, or having a bunch of uh, bunch of uh, posters of Corvettes, you know, means you're going to have one. Now let's look at this verse a little more intently. Some some things we didn't cover this morning. It says, "All of us, as with unveiled face, uncovered." Now this is not talking about a burqa. Or a scarf on your face and you just uncover it. 
But it uses this terminology so we'll have understanding. What must you unveil? People have many veils over their faces, over their eyes. Veils of their past. Veils of their upbringing. Veils of fear. Veils of inhibition. Veils of inadequacy. Veils of low self-esteem. Veils of worry. Veils of anxiety. The list is endless. You've got to remove all those veils if you're going to go on and let the Word change you. Why? Why? Simply stated, simply stated, you and I will not change We will not be metamorphosed into what God wants for our lives just because we read the Bible. People prove that every day. The devil knows the Bible better than most Christians anyway. He's not changed by it. What changes us is when we uncover Our blindness, our blindness from fear, our blindness from our past, where we're blaming our mama, we're blaming our daddy, we're blaming our family tree. I went through hell on earth. Dysfunction. You look at dysfunction in the Webster's Dictionary, there's my family portrait. And people had it worse than I did. But I don't blame my parents for something They could not give what they did not have. So we blame our parents. If I live with every mama, the devil's the only one to blame. We war not against flesh and blood. We said that this morning. We war not against flesh and blood. People are not the problem. The devil's the problem. Amen. Therefore, I can forgive. My parents, I can forgive them from their ignorance. They did not know. They weren't trained like I was trained. They weren't trained in the Word. They weren't trained in the truth. Amen? It's just like in sports. You see these little league coaches out there and these Pop Warner coaches out there and basketball coaches and all this stuff and they're hollering and stuff. Why did you do that? So little kid's dribbling along, you know, and he throws the ball out of bounds or whatever, and nobody was there. And, and so he's running back down the court, and he feels worse than anybody. And the coach is yelling, why did you do that? So you mean you really want him to think about that while he's running down the court, why he did that? I don't know. Just felt like it. No, he didn't feel like it. That is not good instruction. That is not instruction at all. That's not what he needs to be thinking about. And while the coach is yelling that, the parents are going, Hey, that was stupid! Don't do that again! Or what are you doing? Helpful instruction, eh? Well, that doesn't help that child. That does not help that child. That's not... 
constructive criticism. Tell them how to do it right. Tell them how to do it right. Don't just berate them for doing it wrong. Okay, that's a different seminar. All right, we'll go on. But see, the Word of faith, the Word of God, instructs us how to do it right. And our parents weren't subjected necessarily to how to do it right. They just followed their parents. The iniquities of the fathers. The inherited character traits. Bad habits. Right? Bad habits. My family had a bad habit of anger. Bad habit of anger. I got it from my grandfather. Mixed with the bad habit of fear, they got it from my grandmother. The anger from my grandfather came from, he had, he had 18 brothers and sisters. Some of them were half brothers and sisters. But still there's a family of 18. And all the boys, all the boys except maybe two, including him, because of their ages, all the boys were in the military of some kind. I'm talking about Guadalcanal, uh, Baton Death March, Iwo Jima, these notable time frames in World War II and then on in Korea as well. And so my grandfather died. He was 72 in 1975. So they fought when they get together. They all drank and they fought and they had tempers. My grandfather didn't drink much because he was one of the younger boys and he would always take care of his mom. And there was one time when they were growing up in the the Ozarks in uh, Missouri that the mom, who was a godly woman, had my grandfather when he was a teenage boy and one of the younger boys. They went and they found the still of some of the older boys and they filled it full of manure. Of course, they ruined their moonshine. And... When they found out about it, they all came to the house. And my grandfather was waiting there on the, on the house. He was rocking in the swing with a double-barrel shotgun because he knew these half-brothers would be coming after his mom. And here's these six boys, and they all come up to the porch. My grandfather's standing there. He said, Fred, we know you did this. We know you and your blankety bank mama did this, and we're coming after you. This is not going to happen anymore. He said, well, y'all come on. You can't take all of us. He said, but I'm going to take the first two. Who's going to be first? So that was bred in him, that fighting. That was bred in him. And he, he used shotguns everywhere we went. My grandmother drove a car. Everywhere he went, he had a he had a twenty gauge single shot shotgun in the front floorboard with him, right sitting right here on his left, along with a twenty two automatic rifle, along with a twenty two pistol in the glove box, along with a big honking Bowie knife in the in the in the door, loaded for bear everywhere we went. Crazy stuff. So we had an anger problem. My mom came and picked us up one time, my brother and I, from their house. And 
we'd gone over there after school, and they babysat us while she went out to a party. And she came by there, and she was drunk. Just, she was just so drunk. I knew it wasn't going to go well. It's right before my brother left. So I would have been eight. He would have been 12. And she came in, and she came, came in. She's supposed to be there at midnight. She came in at 2 or 3 in the morning, beat, beat on the door, just drunk. My grandfather was so mad, he got, he got a shotgun out. Of course, my grandmother saw what he was doing. He was so angry. He got a shotgun out. And my grandmother huddled us out to that car. And as we're driving off, he's firing shots up in the air over the car. Right there in the neighborhood of North Fort Worth. That's a little bit of an anger problem, you think? And see, that's a spirit. That's a spirit of anger. And you have to stop that. You, you have to stop that. You know, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. It was scary. It was very scary. We did not know whether or not. He was so angry with my mom. He was so mad at her. I believe he could have shot her. I believe he could have shot her. And eventually, my mom's oldest sister committed suicide. She had a huge anger problem. And then the other sister, oh, don't even get me started. She's the one married nine times. So here's my point. You and I have to have a mentality that we're going to allow the Word of God to change us. We've got to submit to the Word of faith to change us, or we will not change on our own. Getting a Tony Robbins DVD series is not going to cut the mustard. There's no word in it. Therefore, there's no lasting power. It's nothing but soulless teaching. And you and I have to have spirit teaching. Amen? But here's the key. I brought up the soul because the soul is key. But it's not the point. But the soul, I call it the gates. The eye gate. The ear gate. And the thought gate. That's what you must do and use to gain entry to your heart. And that's the only area that the devil can attack. He can't just come in and take your heart. He can't come and possess you. He enters in through the eye gate, the ear gate, and the thought gate. You have to control your thoughts. Did Paul say anything about that? Take every thought. Take every thought captive, right? So there's a study. You have to take control of your thoughts, your eyes, what you look at. You can't control everything you see, but you can control what you look at. You can't control everything you hear, but you can control what you listen to. You can't control every thought that may race through your brain, but you can control what you think upon. Amen. Brother Hagin said it this way. He said, thoughts are like birds flying over, the, over your head. He said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can control what you think about if you will renew your mind with the Word. Amen? So, with unveiled face, I'm taking off the covers 
The veils of fear, the veils of my past, the veils of inhibitions, the veils of insecurity. How do I do that? By renewing my mind with the Word. Romans 12. Look there with me. Romans 12. I'll quote it for you in the King James. We'll look at it in the Amplified. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now look at this on the screen in the Amplified. Be not conformed to this world, this age. You know what that literally means, this age? Culture. Don't be conformed to this culture. Cultures are short-lived. Cultures have a short shelf life. Cultures are doomed. This culture, every culture. I was a history minor in college. I studied all the cultures, all the empires. They're gone. Romans, Babylonians, they're all gone. Egyptians, they're all gone. The British Empire, it's gone. The French Empire, gone. Right? They're gone. They're all gone. The American Empire is going to be gone. Every culture is going to be doomed. Every culture is doomed. So we cannot be caught up in the culture. We need to be caught up in Christ. We must be caught up in Christ. Why? Because Christ overcomes every culture. According to Matthew 24, 35 this morning, heaven and earth will pass away. That would, that would include the culture. Heaven and earth, the cultures, are, pa- are going to pass away. But my words will never pass away. So His Word, that's Christ. He is the Word, right? He is the Word. He won't pass away. So as long as we hide the Word in our heart, renew our lives with the Word of God, we won't pass away. So I'm not conformed to this world, this age, or fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. What is that? all that in parentheses or brackets? Culture. I'm not going to fashion my life based upon culture. Well, I want to be relevant. I want to be cool. That only lasts about three weeks. Cool only lasts three weeks. Maybe a month. You're always changing. Now, these girls are too young for this, but if we had teenagers in the room, we'd find out. Are you a teenager? How old are you? See, you look older. She likes that now. She won't like that later. (laughs) What happens with, with young people is they try to talk their parents into, not you necessarily, but try to talk their parents into buying, buying, you know, getting enough money for all the cool clothes. And by the time you actually get the money, they're not cool anymore. They're already out of style. It doesn't change just once a season. It changes even within the seasons. So don't be caught up with the culture. Don't be caught up with the superficial customs and fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. But be transformed. There's the word changed again, but it's the word metamorpho. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the first place it's used that we're talking about. Here's the second place. And then it's used only two other places 
and it's in the Gospels. But it's the same story about Jesus being transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is just once. In other words, it, it just happened one time. It's recorded twice by the, by the disciples. So only three times in the whole New Testament is this word metamorpho used. That's significant. So he's telling us here, we are transformed, metamorphosed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. In His sight for you. You know that God has a picture of what you ought to be like? He made you. He didn't make you an ashtray. He made you a candy dish. You understand the translation there? He made you. He gets to name you. He gets to give you an identity. And only Him. Don't misplace your identity. Don't allow the world to identify you. Amen. Don't allow the world to identify you. Because they're going to misidentify you. Amen? Don't let religion identify you. Let the Word identify you. Let God identify you. He made you. So let the Word identify you. Because from that identity comes your authority. Amen? So we're transformed. We're we're outwardly changed. It starts on the inside, but it works its way to the outside by submitting ourselves to the Word of faith. We renew our minds with this Word. Therefore, this Word changes me. It transforms me. So much so that when my son called me two years ago crying, he had no idea who my brother was talking about until he said my name at the end of the story. The Word has so changed my life that my son did not even recognize, my own son did not even recognize who my brother was talking about. Now, I don't boast. That's not boasting in me. I'm not, I'm not that smart. I'm top five, remember, in Texas, but I'm not, top, I'm not the smartest. He couldn't even recognize the description of who my brother was describing. Because I'm not that person. That's why I never told my children those stories. Because I'm no longer that person. The veil has far removed, been far removed from that person. And see, that's the problem. Many people still wear that veil of their childhood problems, they still wear that cover. Of that blame shifting. Well, if I would have been born in a different family, I'm born on the wrong side of the tracks. If I would have had this family or that family, and we have that mentality, and we rely on that, we're trusting in that instead of the Word. 
instead of the Word. You know where I told those stories? I told those stories in over a thousand public school assemblies I've done. Because I can't share the Word in the public school assembly. Not the Word like I'm sharing tonight. I could still share the Word, but I had to rephrase things. But in the public school assembly, I could tell my story. I could talk, talk to them about where they're living, that I identified with them. I get it. But I'm far from that. I no longer live like that because of a person that I met. And I could say, and his name is Jesus. And then I would have people come up to me afterward and I could win them to Christ. And I only did those things because I would be having some type of a rally nearby. And those pastors would get me in junior highs and middle schools and high schools, even college campuses where I could tell that story and I could identify with them. But my kids never heard that because that wasn't me. That was not, not my identity. I was only telling that to those public school students because many of them have the same identity that I had. And I was trying to connect with them. And they would sit out there and they would cry. They'd come in all tough and talk and smack. And when I talk about growing up in the hood, a lot of these ethnic kids would laugh at me like, right, right. But when I start telling the story of Mr. Tough Guy back there, he started getting tear, tears in his eyes. Because I know he's going through the same things I went through. He's identifying with what I identify with. But I didn't have to share that with my kids. My kids, that's so far removed from them. My grandkids have never heard those stories. I hope they never hear them. I hope they never hear them. Because that's not who I am. Amen? It's not who I am. So let's identify with who we are in Christ, not who we used to be. Let's take the veil off. Let's take the veil off. So when we take that veil off, then we can see clearly. We can see clearly who we're supposed to be. We can see clearly who God has made us to be. We see it clearly. You receive something tonight?